Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Uh, the gospel is our message, very simple, the gospel. And in the book of Romans, chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, we might know those verses. From not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. The Bible talks about the simplicity of the gospel. In other words, let's not make it difficult. Let's not make it hard. It's the simplicity of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God. Amen. Unto salvation, to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Paul was not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because the gospel was the power of God. Now, we understand that when the Holy Ghost came on the day of Pentecost, they received what from on high? Power from on high. And we associate power with the Holy Ghost, and we should. And that Greek word there is dunamis, miracle working power, came upon them and rose up big within them. But also, it's important to understand that the gospel is the power, same word, dunamis, miracle working power. It's the power of God unto salvation. Because in it, in the gospel, is a revelation of righteousness. And the just will live by faith. In other words, having an understanding of the righteousness he has given us in Christ and who we are in Christ. And the more we learn and have faith in what we hear, the more it becomes a reality within our lives. And so we move from faith to faith. Now, the gospel includes a whole lot more than just Jesus dying for our sins so that one day we can go to heaven. It includes a whole lot more than just us saying, I'm saved. I've been water baptized, spirit baptized. I go to a good church. And really, I'm waiting for the trumpet to sound so I can go off and to be with him in glory. And we thank God for all that. But the gospel includes a whole lot more than that. In that verse, Romans chapter 1, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So the gospel means more than just being saved. The Greek word soteria, which is the word there for salvation, it actually means to save, to deliver, to heal, to rescue, to preserve, to make whole, to make sound, and so on. So in other words, to really understand the fullness of the gospel message, we need to understand the fact, we don't need to be a Greek scholar, just understand the fact that just like Webster will define certain words by giving you so many different words, it can mean this, 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 and this. The Greek word just means the gospel is the power of God that saves. The gospel is the power of God that delivers. The gospel is the power of God that heals. The gospel is the power of God that transforms. The gospel is the power of God that preserves, that rescues, that protects, etc., etc. So we can see clearly that if we're only teaching one aspect of the gospel that I'm saved and I'm going to heaven, we're leaving out a whole lot, are we not? So it's important that we teach every aspect of it. And remember, the gospel is the power, the dunamis of God that saves. And we need to hear that, that heals, that delivers. Okay, but if we only focus on those things that I just mentioned, what ends up happening is we can become self-centered, self-willed, more conscious about our needs being met, receiving everything from God for ourselves. 
which is wonderful. I mean, that's okay to receive all the things he has provided for us, right? But we can't stop there and just think that's what it's all about. Because if we do, then we're only looking out for ourselves, only concerned about our needs being met. And we know the gospel is more than that. Now, the apostle Paul said he was God's love slave. He laid down his life to minister to people. So it involves more than just receiving from God. It definitely includes giving out what we've received and what we have. And so we know the gospel also involves transformed lives. So Jesus came to transform every one of our lives. Not just to save us so we can be secure in knowing that we're going to go to heaven someday, but to transform us, which means to change us from glory to glory. He came to rescue us, praise God, and deliver us more than anything from ourselves. You realize our biggest enemy is ourselves? It's not the devil, not the world, it's self, it's the flesh. To deliver ourselves from ourselves. Remember, when man fell, he became very self-willed, self-centered, self-serving, selfish, right? It was all about himself. And that's what it's like in the world today. People are looking out for themselves, the number one. But Jesus came to offer up his life as a sacrifice for many. He left us an example that it's not about self. It's about giving yourself. Actually, the gospel is about denying ourselves, taking up our cross and following him. And so what he's come to do is to transform our lives, to put his love in us, so that by that love that's in us, we can love other people the same way he loves us. To take that love that's within our hearts and just minister love to people wherever we go, wherever we're at, whatever we're doing. You know, you might be in shopping somewhere or you might be out to lunch somewhere and maybe you, it's just in your heart to go ahead and pay for someone else's bill for their lunch, to buy them lunch. It could be within your heart just to pay for someone's groceries. I'll tell you what, you can just see the look on people's face when you go and do something like that. I recently did that for one lady. She was in front of me, and I, I kind of stepped in and just said, um, excuse me, I just want to pay for that. She was like, what? <laughs> Were you, what? And, the, and, and the, the lady that was the cashier, she said, let them pay for it. <laughs> Go get some more, you know. It's loving people and really denying self. See, people of the world don't think that way. To give yourself, to deny yourself, and to be a blessing to others. But that's what he came to do, transform our lives so we could begin to think the way he thinks, to live the way he wants us to live, to act the way he wants us to act, to do as he would have done. Now in Romans chapter 8 and verse 29, this is one of those scriptures that comes after such a scripture like Romans 8, 28, that it kind of gets ignored it's not as impacting. Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good that and love God, those that are called according to his purpose. People know that verse of scripture. But look at the next verse. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren and sistren. So in other words, Jesus, of course, the firstborn, but every single one of us, we've been reborn, we've been born again in him, and we are to be conformed to his very image. 
This was the intended purpose of God in the very beginning when he made man. He made man in his own what? Image and likeness. Not the image of an angel, not the image of a star, the moon, the sun, and all that. People have all these things, images that they worship today. But that's not what he made us to be in the image of, the image of himself. Image of God he made. Man, we're his highest creation. And so he crowned us with glory. He crowned us with honor. For what reason? So that we would be in his image, in his likeness, and live the kind of life that he wants us to live here upon the earth. That's what this gospel message is all about. To do what? To change us once again to be in that image that we lost when we fell from the very beginning. So it's not just being saved, it's also being transformed and changed from glory to glory. And of course, this doesn't happen instantly. Why? Because even though it takes place inwardly instantly, it's a process of renewing our minds to who we are and what we actually have in Christ and what we become in Christ. And to be honest with you, it's so beyond our comprehension and our thinking to think that we have the life of God in us or the glory that raised Jesus from the dead dwelling in us, it kind of just escapes our understanding. But God wants us to know that was his desire, that we be conformed to the very image of Jesus, become that which he has apprehended us for. He came also, the gospel is, he came to live in us. He came to take up residency in us. You know, we want manifestations on the outside. The best way to get them is look who's on the inside. He's on the inside of us, living on the inside of us. We need to get to know him. How many of you invite people over your house that you don't know to spend the night with you? How many invite them to come and live in your house and you don't know them at all? There may be a few, but I don't know how many would do that. Wouldn't you want to get to know them first? Well, if Jesus moved in, he's living in us right now. We should get to know him right? He's living on the inside of us so that we can know him and really have his heartbeat and live our lives in a way that's pleasing to him in a way that honors him in the way we live and conduct ourselves. So you see, the gospel teaches us the ways of God, the purposes of God, the plans of God, the attitudes of God, the characteristics of God, so that why we can be changed from glory to glory in those images and play them out or live them out in our lives today. So we want to get what's on the inside of us to the outside of us. And that takes a renewed mind. Now, look at these um, four big words. Four big words that really comprise the gospel message. Uh, the first word is repent, re, um, repentance. No, I'm sorry, redemption. Redemption is the big word as far as the gospel is concerned. And it takes us back to the very beginning when man fell from the presence of God. And when he fell from the presence of God, he needed a way back. There was no way he can get back to God on his own, so God came up with the plan of redemption. In that plan, he had to reveal his ways to man so that man could follow his way back and not try to get back to God on his own. And so in the process of time, he sent his son Jesus after he gave types and shadows of what the Messiah would have to do. And he died for us on Calvary's cross and redeemed us by paying the price of our penalty. And he dealt with sin on our behalf. That's the gospel message in a nutshell. Redemption means that Jesus paid the price of his blood to redeem us from our fallen state and reconcile us back to the Father. But redemption is not enough. Because even though the whole world's been redeemed legally, the whole world is not redeemed practically. 
or positional. See, positionally, we could say the whole world's been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. It applies to every person who's ever born into this world, whoever will be born. But without the next word, repentance, they're going to be lost to eternity. If a person who's been redeemed does not repent of his or her sins and accept Christ as Savior and Lord, they will be lost for eternity. So to repent means to have remorse for the sinful condition that we're in and then make a change of heart and say, look, I don't want this anymore. I don't want to live apart from God anymore. I want reunion with the living God. I'm going to spend my eternity with him in glory, not be lost in the lake of fire forever. And so I have a change of heart. I've been trying to do it on my own, you can say. You might have even been trying to do it religiously for many, many years. But you make a decision. It's not about religion. It's not about works. It's about the sacrifice that Jesus made in me accepting him as my Savior and Lord based on his performance and not mine. So I repent of my sins and I do a simple thing. I ask him to come into my heart and give me a brand new heart. Cleanse me of my sin. Praise God and provide for me the next word, reconciliation. Reconcile me back to the Father. Reconciliation means it's, a, it's having peace with God or harmony with God. Obtaining it through the blood of Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad to be at peace with God right now? Romans chapter 5 and verse 1 and 2. Therefore being justified by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That means we're in harmony with him. We're no longer enemies of God. But we're in harmony with him. Look, we're all eternal spirit beings and we're going to spend our eternity somewhere. We want to be at peace with God. So that when we leave this realm of life, we are going to be with him throughout eternity. But the only way to achieve that is through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so we've been redeemed. We've repented. We're now reconciled to God. And this fourth big word, I'm telling you, is really overlooked as well. It's not understood enough. Reproduction. Reproduction. God reproducing himself in us. Listen to the language of scripture. Jesus said, I didn't come to seek for myself. I came to serve you. Why? To seek and save that what was lost. Why? Why did he come to seek and save us? To put his life in us. Oh, the thief came to steal in the very beginning. Kill, steal, and destroy. But I've come to give you Zoe. Zoe is life as God has it in the Greek. I've came to impart to you the only thing that can recreate your spirit. And that is the very divine nature and life of the living God. And when you accepted Christ as your Savior and Lord and you were reconciled to the Father, he put his life in us. He reproduced his life in every born-again believer. You've got the life of God. We sing songs about it. I've got the life of God in me. I've got the life of God. I've got the life of God. Got the love of God. Got the light of God in me. We've got the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ in us. Do we, do we comprehend that? Do we clearly understand that what it means to have the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ within us? You see, if we understand what's on the inside, we'll get it to the outside, to the renewed mind. Remember Jesus said, make the tree good and the fruit good? And too often we think about the fruit the words that we speak, and forget about the tree being made good. You know, it's easy to pick a peach off a peach tree. Try to pick one off a plum tree. It's not going to happen. It's not about the fruit. It's about the tree. 
And if you make the tree good, make it righteous and holy by accepting Christ as Savior and Lord of our lives and begin to find out who we are in Christ, we'll be talking about who we are in Christ. We'll be saying who we are in Christ, what we have in Christ. For example, back at the beginning we talked about the gospel is the power of God, the dunamis of God. Unto what? Salvation. So when I understand that I've been saved by the grace of God, which means the gospel message is salvation, soteria, which means saved, healed, delivered, rescued, preserved, made whole, I start saying that. When I start saying that salvation means all these things, and I see that inside me, that enables me to speak out or proclaim the truth of God's word. I speak those words. Why? Because I made the tree good. But if we see ourselves in a different light, like who we are in the flesh, or who we are according to the enemy that speaks into our lives, we're not making the tree good. So then if we're not making the tree good, how are we going to speak right things? We've got to make the tree good. And that's why we're talking about these things because you have been born of the Spirit of God. You have the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwelling in you and he was raised by the glory of the Father. On the inside of you and me, we have this glory, praise God, in an earthen vessel or a jar of clay. And Jesus said, don't let your light be under a bushel put and put out. Let it shine among men. Take the bushel off. Don't look at who you are in the flesh. Look at who you are in the spirit, who you are in Christ. And when that light comes, it'll shine through your eyes when the eyes are single. And when people see you, they'll see Christ in you, the hope of glory. They will see you and see him in you. And praise God, you'll be one that impacts the lives of others when they see the love of God in you, a transformed life. When I worked down in the mill and I got born again, I got transformed by the power of God. I'm telling you, and I, I saw others, individuals that were born again, but they were not acting like they were born again, not talking like they were born again. And the Lord sent me to one individual and just said, you know what, you're supposed to be shining. This is not me, guaranteed. This is not me. I'm more reserved than this. It's just always that way. But it was the Holy Ghost saw me and said, now explain to my, it's your brother here, and need to let his light shine. And so I did. I took him aside and we talked, and thank God he received it. He changed his vocabulary, his speech, because you see, when you work in a mill, every other word is not a good word, not a nice word. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. And he just continued on. It was the old man still living. But then when I shared with him, be a shining light, you've got to be different. You're a Christian. Look like a Christian. Act like a Christian. Talk like a Christian. Be Christ-like. He said, thank you so much for helping me and telling me. You're absolutely right. He changed, and guess what? His other buddies that he worked with, now they saw a difference in him. What happened to you? You're a different person. Shouldn't we all be different people? I'm not like I was before I got saved. I'm a different man in Christ. What about you? Absolutely. So God wants to produce his life in us. Look at the goal in 1 Timothy chapter 2. This is the goal. God's goal for us. I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all that are in authority that we may lead a quiet, peaceful life in all godliness and honesty for this is good, acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who will have all men to be saved who will have all men to be saved there's one part, all men to be saved notice and and he doesn't stop there saying you're saved now, that's all you need he wants all men to be saved and, are you a saved and person? and what? And to come unto the knowledge of the truth. He wants us to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And so he wants us to know the truth. So that the truth can make us free. 
And we'll talk about that in just a moment. But every single one of us has been taught in the wrong school. We've been homeschooled in the wrong school. Look at Proverbs 16, verse 25, and what it says. We've been trained up and taught in a school that teaches ways that seem right to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. You realize it doesn't take much to teach the ways of death to anyone? The moment you and I were born to this world, we had a bad start. You know why? Because we've been born into a world that teaches what? Give me that. That's mine. Selfishness, self-centeredness, being self-willed and self-serving and all that starts when you're just a little kid and you're angry. So you burst out in anger and you're jealous. And so you burst out with jealousy and, and the list goes on and on. All those things basically are bad teachers. And of course, you know, the enemy is behind that to teach that and to enforce that teaching in our lives. Well, we've been basically trained the wrong way by the wrong teachers. Our emotions have been wrong in the way they want to teach us and lead us and direct us and guide us. We think as though that we have to submit to our feelings and our emotions. If I'm angry, then don't bother me. I can be rude if I want to. I can be ignorant if I want to. Really? That's not true. You can control that. Especially if you're born again, you've got the power of the life of God inside you. Either that or it, it, it depends on whether or not you get your paycheck this week. Because you see, if you're a clerk waiting on somebody and you have an attitude, you might lose your job. Isn't it something how someone can, can control their anger when they know a paycheck is involved, but when they go home, there's no paycheck involved, so they could be angry and talk the way they want to talk, do what they want to do. God wants to change us from the inside out. He wants us to know that we don't have to submit to those teachers. You might feel jealousy, but you don't have to act out jealousy. We were rooted and grounded in the wrong way of thinking, the wrong way of living, the wrong way of speaking, the wrong way of doing all kinds of things. But yet it was normal to us. But what does it lead to? Death. Those are the ways of death. And God doesn't want us to expose ourselves to those things because they're destructive in our lives. Now, the gospel has the power to change a person's attitude, his mindset, his way of thinking, um, everything, his motives. It will change a person. You know, when I read that Paul said he was Christ's love slaves, he became all things to all men so that he can gain some for Christ. I thought what a deep commitment that he had to live his life in such a way so as to honor God. When I read in Romans chapter 14, he said, if it means I don't eat this, I don't eat this so I don't cause my brother to stumble. If it means I don't drink this, I don't drink this to cause my brother to stumble. In other words, I preferred others above myself. When I read about, he said, preferring and honoring others before myself. And we should all follow that same example. And you think about, you're looking out for the other person's good, not even, even above yourself in some cases. This is the true Christ-like life. This is the true message of the gospel because the gospel is God giving his son. And this gospel is all about love. God so loved the world that he gave his son. And so every single one of us need to follow that example. Um, look in Philippians chapter two. Salvation, Paul said, is for all men. For kings, even evil kings, adulterers, adulterers, idolaters, uh, fornicators, you could go on and name all kinds of uh, drunkards, thieves, it's just name them all. The gospel is for all men. He will have all men to be saved. The prideful, the jealous, the envious. I mean, the list goes on and on. It doesn't matter what degree we were in darkness, 
what degree of darkness you and I were in. He wants everybody to be saved. And as far as he is concerned, not one is different than the other. I mean, if you miss just, if you mess up on one of the laws, you mess up on all the laws, according to him. And so the gospel is the power of God that changes our lives. And look at this verse in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, 12 and 13. Here the apostle Paul says, Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. In other words, recognize the fact that God Almighty is actually at work in every one of us to do his will and good pleasure, to birth within us those things that will represent his will for our lives. You see, it's important that you and I learn to be weaned from our emotional feelings and attitudes and motives and all that and just line up with his. And you know, we might think we have a right, like I said, we get hurt, I'm gonna have my feel bads hurt, so I'm gonna act a certain way because I've been hurt. You know what, that's a, we talk about James who says count it all joy when you fall into these different trials and tribulations whenever we have ourselves hurt we're supposed to be counting it joy thank God the apostles they thought it was wonderful to suffer shame for the name of the Lord remember when they were persecuted and afflicted for the things that they did for Christ they didn't get their feel bads hurt and just walk away and just say oh my look at me what's going on when Paul and Silas were in prison what did they do I mean, you think about the whipping that they took. You think about the beating that they took and being fast with, with stalks in, in, in their feet and their hands just, just in, in such a way that was absolutely so uncomfortable it's beyond our comprehension and plus whipped the way they were whipped and beaten. But they sang in praises to God and they prayed and worshiped God in that situation. See, in those situations, they learned to rise up above the situation and exalt who they were in Christ above the situation. And what happened? They brought the power of God into manifestation when they did that. That was an act of faith, knowing that God was on their side, that God would defend them and fight for them and help them. And because knowing that, because God loved them, it brought God on the scene. We want to get God brought on the scene? We could do the same thing. This is what they did. So he changes us within, but why does he do this from within? So that you and I can be an influence to others. When you're in a workplace and things are going bad, and that here you are with a smile on your face, how could you be smiling like that? <laughs> because you see, who I am is not dependent upon my circumstances. It's not dependent upon what's going on right here. And you know what else? It's not dependent on whether or not someone treated me nice or not, because guess what? People aren't going to treat us nice in the world. True? But you see... Who I am is not based on that. As a matter of fact, dead men don't have feelings. And we consider ourselves dead to the world and alive to Christ. Right? See, this is really getting into the depth of the teaching of God's word so that we can grow and have meat and develop who we are in Christ. Some important things. Look at, look at this. The truth. Look at John 8, 31 and 32. He wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of what? The truth. The truth is not based on this world in a fallen state that it's in. This truth is not based on something you can put under a microscope and just say, see, this is it. No, because this world was created with something that's beyond this world. By faith, everything spoken that is, was spoken to the world by the living God, and he upholds all things by the word of his power. Jesus said, to, Ben said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, if you continue in my word, then you're my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Notice, a disciple is one who continues in the word, knowing he's not there yet. 
I've got to continue in the word and continue in the word so I can know, experience the reality of the truth of God's word. Okay, it's up to me to gain that insight and understanding. How? Not just by intellectually learning it, but going to the school of the Holy Spirit who will take it and build it within our lives until it becomes a living reality. It's almost like the word may flesh through us. The word's living so much on the inside of me that it's coming out of me. It, like we said earlier, or, or last Sunday, it, when God squeezes, or when we get squeezed through trials and tribulations, nothing comes up but Christ because we are the fragrance of the aroma of Christ everywhere we go. So when we get squeezed, what comes out? Christ. So someone says something mean to you, Christ comes out. Someone cuts you off on the road, Christ comes out. Right. <laughs> Look at 7 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3. How many of you believe in the signs of the last days? Signs of the times? And we're living in the last of the last days. We do believe that, right? But look at chapter 3. These first six verses talk about many signs. You know, men having, being lo lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, disobedient to parents, etc., etc., right? You know those verses. But look at verse 7. For some reason, this verse seeming, seemingly doesn't get emphasized enough. Ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Whoa. A sign of of the end times ever learning seeking after knowledge but never coming to the knowledge of the truth in other words one sign of the end times would be that they would continue on learning but never experiencing the reality of the truth listen powerfully we can go from place to place meeting the meeting Listen to CDs and tapes and all that sort of thing and fill our heads up with all kind of knowledge. Ever learning. But the bottom line is what reality are we experiencing in the truth? I knew about God, but I didn't know God. For 24 years I was in church and I knew about God, I didn't know God. You know what? All I knew about God did not save my sin-sick soul. All that I learned for those 24 years in this setting that we call church, I did not know you must be born again. But I knew a lot of other things. Until one day someone came to me and looked me square in the eye and says, you want to make heaven? You've got to be born again. That was the beginning of the process for me to get what was all up here, down here, to become a reality in my life. We could be the same way. We're ever learning and ever learning and ever learning. The love walk, for example. Am I walking in love? Is love manifesting through my life? Peace. We've got the peace of God that passes all understanding to keep our hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. But are we overcome by fear and worry and anxiety? Or is peace like a river flowing through our souls no matter what we encounter in life? You know, there's a couple of things that Jesus said when you're Challenge in this life, don't fear and don't worry. And what happens when we get challenged in this life? Most people fear and worry. And even admit it. But you see, the scripture says, fear not. I am with you. If we knew the reality of God being with us, there'd be no fear. Be not dismayed, I'm your God. Your God. I will strengthen you, help you, and uphold you with my right hand of righteousness. See, if we knew the reality of that, oh, it would reduce all the fear, all the worry to nothing. 
All the anxiety out the door. All the stress just gone. You seem to be living a carefree life. Well, we should. We got one who cares for us. Why should we carry the burden around when he who cares for us is bigger than we are? And he can handle it a whole lot better than we can. Can you say amen? Look at John 17. In verse 3 here, Jesus is speaking. But now notice what he says here. This is life eternal or eternal life. What is it, Lord? Help us. Tell us what it's about. That they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. People everywhere are looking for truth. Truth is knowing him. Jesus said, I am the truth, right? Knowing him is what this life is all about. Knowing him is what the gospel is all about. Knowing his love, knowing his character, knowing his concern, knowing his person, knowing all that we could know about him is what eternal life is all about. Knowing all that we can know about Jesus is what eternal life is all about. Knowing how he laid down his life for us. Knowing how he gave himself for us. Knowing how he went through life here on this earth and helped every person who ever came to him. We've got all these theologians out there teaching all these doctrines that really don't line up with the word of God. Look at the person of Jesus. Forget about your Greek words and all that and all your theological views. Look at the person of Jesus and look at how he conducted himself and look at how he lived his life and exemplify that. Someone went to him with a need, guess what? It was met. Someone went to him with a concern, guess what? He told him how to get the job done. Not one person did he turn away ever, ever. Not one person needed healed, they were healed. It's about knowing God. And but here's the point. It's the Holy Ghost who came to God us and all the truth. No wonder Paul says, I want you to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth because the truth is on the inside of us. We have the spirit of truth to guide us in all that is true. But we want him to take it and make it a reality. Not just book smart, not just learn it up here in the head, but to get it down here in the heart that it actually becomes a part of who we are. It's being made flesh through our lives. Now, there's a challenger out there. He's called a deceiver. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3. But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Eve had her mind corrupted. All she had to do was just to believe that what God says was true about her, about her situation, about her purpose, about everything that she stood for in life. Think about it. Put yourself back where they were in the garden. That was their purpose. That was their value. You can just see it right there. Jesus came to restore what was lost. Even in the woman, when she sinned and did what she, she did, he put integrity and, and dignity back into the woman's life by using Mary to bring forth you know, his life into the earth. But you go back there and you can see the purpose of God for man. Loving him, meeting with him, talking things over with him, fellowshipping with him, having a wonderful time in a wonderful place in a perfect environment. All that you can possibly desire have that you would need to, to function in life is all right there in the garden for them to enjoy. Some little serpent comes along and just says, ah, there's something more. And so what happens? She's deceived. Deception means to present as truth what is a lie. He lied to her and she bought it and she fell for it. So she was deceived thinking that there was something more. 
How many lies has the enemy tried to tell us to present to us and make us think that this is what the truth is? And in reality, it was a lie. You know what? If you want to follow God, just don't listen to the devil. Do the opposite that he says to do. He's a liar from the very beginning. He's told nothing but lies. Don't follow what he says. Don't follow his suggestions or ideas. Okay. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 15, anybody here want to grow spiritually? We all want to grow spiritually, but look at what it says. But speaking the truth in love may grow up. Want to grow up? We have to speak the truth in love. We'll grow up in him in all things. Well, what is the truth? Thy word is the truth. What is the truth? Jesus said, I am the truth. Look at me. Look at my life. Look at how I lived. Look at who I am. Look at what I did. Look how I humbled myself and became a man. Walked upon the earth. Submitted myself to all that the enemy did to me. Even all those people. You realize all those people that absolutely hurt him in, any, in every possible way, physically or emotionally. You realize anyone and everyone that hurt him, he loved them all unto death and cared about them so much. Father, forgive them for they don't even know what they're doing. And he told even all the people that, that were in leadership in Jerusalem, I would have taken you under my wings, but you wouldn't let me. That's what I wanted to do. But you see, God came to love the world, not to condemn the world. You, you realize that shame, guilt, and condemnation are enemies of our spiritual lives. People need to realize they're loved by God. And the love that God has for them is not based on circumstances that they encounter in life. We can go through circumstances in life and make us think, well, if God really loved me, then this wouldn't happen or that wouldn't happen. That doesn't, that's not how we understand God's love for us. God loves us no matter what we're going through in this life. The deceiver came to Jesus and said to Jesus, if you be the son of God, do what? Turn these stones into bread. He was challenging his identity. But you know what he was trying to do? He was trying to get Jesus to exalt power, listen carefully, above truth. To exalt power above truth. And you know what? If we're not mindful, he'll try to get us to think the same way. To exalt power above truth. We believe in the power of God. But Jesus didn't fall for that. He said he believed he was the son of God because of what he heard the father say. Thou art my beloved son. This is my beloved son. He did not need to prove it by using power to turn a stone into a loaf of bread. He would not exalt power above truth. And remember the gospel is the power, the dunamis of God. Thank God that we can use his power to transact business for him here upon the earth. But sometimes I think we minimize the fact that dunamis, the same word, you shall receive power from on high, is the same word. The gospel is the power of God that saves, delivers, heals, rescues, preserves, makes whole, sets free, produces soundness and protection. It is the power. So it so taking the truth of God's word, the gospel message, and embracing it gives place to the power, the dunamis of God that produces in our lives. How do we get saved? The greatest working of God's mighty power was wrought in Christ when he was raised from the dead. How is that power manifested in you and me? You believe the gospel, you proclaim the truth, and the power of God 
was in operation to save your sin-sick soul. And so we see, praise God, that Jesus, even though he was attempted to do it, didn't fall for it. He didn't need to use power above truth. He exalted truth above everything else, and everything else fell into place. Now, how many times have we been told, if, if God really loves you, then this wouldn't happen, or that wouldn't happen. God's love for us is not based on circumstances. It's not based on life experiences whatsoever. To look at those things like people do and just say, man, if God really loved me, or God doesn't really love me because I do this, because I do that. God's love for you and God's love for me was settled before we were ever born. Zephaniah chapter 3 tells us that God is resting in his love for us and he is joying over us, rejoicing over us with singing. Can you imagine getting up in the morning, looking in the mirror and just say, God, you are rejoicing over me with singing. You are just shouting the praises. I'm telling you, you're just, you're just so exuberant and so excited because I'm awake again. Not like here's another day and I'm going to barely get by and all that sort of thing and all my troubles and all my concerns and all that. And who am I? Does God really love me? Let me tell you something. You are loved. You are forgiven. You are empowered. You are in a royal family. It has nothing to do with your life experiences. It has nothing to do with circumstances. It has nothing to do with you or anything you have done. It's everything to do with what Jesus did when he offered his blood on Calvary's cross. It's based on his performance. That's how we know that we're loved. That's how we know that we're forgiven. And there's nothing in this world that can stop the love of God, praise God, or separate us from it. Look at John 15, 13. Makes it very, very clear in John 15, 13. Greater love is no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Has nothing to do with circumstances. Has nothing to do with anything that happens in life experiences. Has everything to do with what Jesus did to prove to every one of us. So when the devil comes along and just says, you really think God loves you? Oh, absolutely. But look at what you did. It has nothing to do with the circumstances. But what if this happens? What if that happens? Whatever has nothing to do with any of that. And I want to show you how we can use our faith that works by love to really get God on the scene in our lives. But before we do that, look real quick, if you don't mind. Don't mind. Mark 6, it's not in your notes, but 2 and 3. Mark 6, verses 2 and 3. Here, this is Jesus we can allow our identity to be found in what other people think of us and what we think of ourselves. We can think our value is found in what others think of us and what we think of ourselves. You know, Jesus could have done the same thing. But he wasn't moved by what others thought of him. He was only moved by what the Father thought of him. When, when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And with what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Now notice, is not this the carpenter's son? The, the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, Simon, and are not his sisters with us? And they were offended at him. In other words, their view of him was this lower class carpenter. This nobody whatsoever. Condescending, looking down upon him, snubbing their noses at him. He's a nobody. How's this happening with this nobody? You think that affected Jesus in any way? That didn't affect him in any way whatsoever. Don't ever let the enemy tell you you're not good enough. 
Don't let him ever tell you anything that doesn't line up with scripture and believe it about yourself. It's not about your faults. It's not about your failures. It's not about your shortcomings. It's not how many times you've missed the mark. If you sinned a second ago, Father, forgive me and cleanse me by the blood of the Lamb. And you are cleansed. Nothing can separate you from God's love. You are who he made you, not who people think you are or how they view you or how you view yourself in the mirror. That is the enemy using your flesh for you to get to see yourself and your shortcomings and faults in the mirror. You know what? It's time to recognize yourself in Christ and look at that same mirror and just say, oh, glory be to God. I see a masterpiece this morning. Thank God. God says that I am holy. I am righteous. I'm unblameable. I'm irreprovable in his sight. Praise God. The end of the commandment is charity or love out of a pure heart. And that's a pure heart. A pure heart's been washed by the blood of the lamb. Has nothing to do with our performance. But we're in him and we're one with him. And praise God in him we live and move and have our being. In him we've been made worthy to come before the throne of almighty God. And sit with him and talk with him. Look at our last point here. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 6. Galatians 5 and verse 6. We've heard this all the time. For in, Christ, for in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision. But... Signs, wonders, and miracles working by love. No, what, what matters in Christ? Faith working how? By love. You see, if we're still warring with how much God loves us, our faith is not going to be at a higher level. If we're still warring with whether we're not good enough to use our faith, to pray to believe God, and you know, many, many are victimized by low self-esteem, and they feel that way about themselves. But when we start seeing who we are and identifying with who we are in Christ and what we have in him, and we see what God truly made us and convince ourselves, listen, rather than spending time going around the world to different places to learn, sit in your bedroom before the presence of God and say, Father, you say I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. Help me understand that change me by that let's not be ever learning but never coming to the knowledge of the truth I must look pretty good to you father make that a reality in my life transform me you said I'll lay hands on the sick and they shall recover transform me help me to understand how these hands can be used by you to bless somebody else too often we think we got to go teach them but we don't you know, sometimes all you have to do is just walk up to somebody and just say, you hurting? God loves you. Let the love of God flow out of you. God loves you. You say, what if it doesn't happen? That's between them and God. But you be the vessel through which God uses. Remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, those three Hebrew boys? Well, listen, the bottom line is this. The word spoke louder than the fire. The word spoke louder than the fire. Now the fire has a voice. And it usually says that your flesh can't withstand it. When they were told if they don't worship the image of Nebuchadnezzar, the 90 foot tall image that in his own ego 
set up because he's so big and wonderful then they will burn in a fiery furnace so the attempt was to get their focus on fire and off of the magnitude of the greatness of God so they were not even concerned about giving an answer because they knew how much God loved them. They knew that God cared for them. They knew they were walking with God in harmony with his will for their lives. And they said, it's not about the fire. It's about the word. And they said, we're not even careful to answer you in this matter. There's not even a competition here. You throw us in, the God that we serve, he will deliver us. Out of, he can and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Let me stop right there just for a moment. See, the, the faith message sometimes can get lost without understanding this revelation. We can say the right thing, but not with the right heart. Not with the right revelation. Not with the right understanding. I might pick this up on Sunday. I'm not sure how we're going to do this, but do you remember when the seven sons of Sceva went to cast the devil out of the man who was possessed and said, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preacheth. That was their confession. Come out of the man. In the name of Jesus, whom Paul preacheth. They were borrowing someone else's confession. They were borrowing someone else's experience. They're trying to do what someone else did without having the goods that he had. Paul didn't say that because he was trying something. Paul cast out devils because he knew the Savior. He knew his identity in Christ. He knew his righteousness in Christ. He knew the power and authority of the name. And so his declaration of faith came from the heart. Not borrowing someone else's experience. So of course you know the rest of the story. Jesus we know, Paul we know, but who in the world are you? And pounced on them and destroyed them, right? They stripped them naked, they went running out of the house. Well, when these boys said, we're not even going to hesitate to answer that question. Hey, it's not about how much the fire is tempting us. It has nothing to do with the fire. As far as we're concerned, he can and he will deliver us out of your hand. That was their declaration or confession of faith. He can and he will. Period. Well, guess what? The king got hot and the fire got hotter. And I mean, the increase of the fire is still not bigger than God. It got hotter and hotter, just like he got hotter and hotter. So he turned up the heat and made it increase. Look at when the problem increases after we pray the prayer of faith, after we made a declaration or a decree of our faith, sometimes we expect it to go instantly and sometimes it does. But other times you've declared your faith, you know that you're healed, you know you're delivered, you know it's set free, but all of a sudden the heat's turned up. The symptoms aren't going away. But it seems like they might even be getting worse. But that will determine where we're at and what we know and who we know and if we know who we are and what we have in Christ. When he says, okay, boys, I'm going to turn up the heat as if that's bigger than the God that they just said can and will deliver us out of your hand. Go ahead. And so he turns up the heat and they get these guys, these soldiers, I guess, to throw them in the furnace. They die by the fire. 
They get thrown in there. See, it's not about the fire. It's about who they're going to bow to. Are they going to bow to a 90-foot statue? Is the fire God? Is the statue God? Are they going to stand before the judgment seat of Nebuchadnezzar, the fire, or his image? Absolutely not. So we're not careful to answer in this matter. We're going to bow to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords someday. So I'm not bowing now. He can and he will deliver you, us out of your hand, O King. And from the furnace. And you know, Jesus could have done it different ways, but guess what he did? Guess what he didn't do? He didn't put the fire out. Look at Isaiah 50, 43. He did not put the fire out. Sometimes we want the fire put out instantly, but look at this. But now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, and neither shall the flame kindle upon thee, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. Oh, hallelujah. Glory to God. Can you imagine that just ringing within their souls? Go ahead, throw us in the fire. The Lord God that we serve said, I will be with you. And was he in the fire with them? Did he not protect them from the fire? Was the smell of smoke upon them? The only thing that was burned off was their ropes. That was all that was burned off of them. So you see, their confession of faith was not based on borrowing somebody else's experience in God. It was based on knowing God, knowing his love for them, and spewing out the word of faith. Praise God that brought the miracle. Now, when we know the love of God and we speak the word of faith, God shows up. And where does this faith come from? Intimacy with God. Intimacy with God. And that's where it comes from. It doesn't come from just going from place to place. I know it comes from hearing, hearing the word of God. But you know, sometimes it's just sitting in his presence and hearing yourself say, Father, I know you love me. Father, I know you love me. Make that a reality in my life. You said you supply all my need. I know you supply all my need. Make that a reality in my life. Uh, you said that I've got control over my emotions. Well, help make that a reality in my life. I could be angry and sin not make that a reality in my life. You see, it's time to stop ever learning and it's time to start coming to the knowledge of the truth. Experiencing the reality of the word of God in our lives in such a way so as to produce the fruit from the good tree that understands our relationship with God. Let's all stand together before the Lord.